Welcome to Just Julie. I am Julie, and I want you to know how thankful I am that you chose to join me today. And now, here is today's episode. Today's podcast looks at adoption through a different lens actually through the eyes of a birth mom. But also, she gives us a peek into the view of the adoptee that sometimes we tend to dismiss. Join us as we talk about adoption and the rest of the story. Hello, Amber. Welcome to the Just Julie podcast. How are you today? Hi, it's good to be here. Oh, good. I'm so glad to have you as a guest today on this cold 20-degree day. (laughs) I'm guessing it's about the same where you are? It is. It is cold up here. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So December is supposed to be that way, right? I mean, yes. Exactly. Okay. (laughs) I want to tell you, I am so looking forward to having this conversation with you today because we're going to talk about adoption from a very different perspective. And I appreciate you so much in your willingness to be vulnerable and transparent with our audience today. And so I want to get started with asking you the connection that you have to the world of adoption. Yeah. So officially, I am a birth mother. I relinquished my first son when I was 17, which was 17 years ago. We started with a semi-open adoption, which gradually became somewhat more open, but we have not had visits. However, I also eventually realized the extent to which adoption and family separation has impacted generations of my family. I was separated from most of my biological family and was raised by my dad and my family. I called my mom my birth mom growing up. I didn't know the names of my maternal grandparents, and I went through a series of reunions in my 20s. And I found out that my own biological mother had experienced separation and became a ward of the state in her teens and actually relinquished my older sister. And my birth or my brother is also a birth father. So much of my learning from adoptees has just helped me uh, get a language for the stuff that I experienced. And uh, I just didn't realize that it had its root in attachment and separations. So there's that. I also, I currently facilitate a monthly support group for birth families. And I'm on the board of the National Association of Adoptees and Parents. So that's my current role in the community. I see. You know, and what is so interesting, Amber, is the language is so different from your perspective. Mm. Very different. And it's a language that those of us who have adopted don't usually hear. Mm. If we hear something, it's, it's birth mother. But there are so many words that you're speaking that on the adoption side of it, having adopted three yeah. ourselves, it looks so much different. My mother was adopted and mm-hmm. knew her birth family, mm-hmm. but what and needing to be reunified, that didn't happen. And that piece for her became such a wound that she yeah. never really worked through that and, and yeah. never got, got over it, really. So, you know, you're speaking these words and hearing this part You've worked through a lot of that. And so in a worldview, and we're just going to talk about a worldview right now, what's missing? 
in adoption? Oh, that is a question with just dozens of answers. But I liked even what you were referring to. I think that if my very my very first answer, if I could focus on just one very simple change, I would love to see is really having adoptee-centered narratives. As you're talking about, the language is so different, and I can absolutely agree. I didn't grow up with this language either. <laughs> but I think that when we think of adoption and when the general public thinks of adoption, the stories that most people know the most are the adoptive parent stories and their perspectives. And so it's very easy for people just to to empathize with that side. And I would say that adoptees are arguably the most affected by adoption and yet the least heard. And so seeking out, you know, adoptee voices, there are books and blogs, podcasts, attending events. I would say, obviously, adoptive parents typically are the the main people that we hear from. But then I would say probably birth parents are more heard from than adoptees even. So I think this is a lesson I've also had to learn. Both adoptive parents and birth parents really could benefit from elevating adoptive voices, letting them share their stories and experiences from their perspectives, not from what we think that their perspective should be. Because when people other than adoptees are carrying the conversation, we can run the risk either of silencing those complex feelings that are long-lasting, or on the other hand, we could pathologize adoptees with their complex experiences. So that would probably what is missing primarily the the first thing that comes to mind is where are the adoptive voices so there's that <laughs> wow yes that is huge because on this side of adoption those voices tend to be blended in with the family yes. and so then their voice is supposed to become our voice our yes. voice is to become their voice Yes. And so I kind of I'm connecting those dots because when we bring children into our home and either from birth or teenagers, because we adopt Mm -hmm. teenagers. Yeah. But whether you're birth adopted in or teenager adopted in or young child adopted in, Mm -hmm. they have a story, whether it's in utero story or years of foster or years of orphanage, there's a story. And what I'm hearing you say is the adoptee needs to be able to tell their story without it being silenced. Absolutely. And I think you're right on. I had a couple of thoughts as you were speaking. One, that was something that I had to learn because, and I think you could probably relate, like where does my story as a birth parent and in his begin, my, my sons. And so I've had to, I, I typically don't, I try not to share much his end because I recognize that's his story. But also their story, all of our stories are ongoing. Adoption isn't just a one-time past event, but it's something we keep coming back to as we grow up. Birth parents, adoptive parents, adoptees. It's something we're constantly coming back and trying to reintegrate. The older we get, the more information we have, the new relationships that we have. So it's never ending, really. And so how can we hold a space for those that ongoing complex experience? Yes. And as a child develops and becomes more curious and learns more, mm-hmm. like you say, the questions will start or no. behaviors will start. Right. And so many times adoptive parents aren't prepared for that. 
because we keep that piece of the story quiet and we just don't want it to look that way. Right. And, and being able to approach this topic with clarity and looking at the entire piece of adoption, it behooves us in wherever we are in the world of adoption, whether we're just advocates, whether we play a part in helping make adoption happy uh, happen, whether we are on the receiving end, wherever we are, complete the circle because everybody in the circle is coming with something different. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Everybody is. So that brings us to the Christian view of adoption. Mm-hmm. What's missing there? Well, I want to respond to what you said, because another thing I would say, probably just in general and in the Christian perspective, is that the importance of openness and post-adoption support because relinquishment, like you were saying, at any age involves attachment, disruption, and trauma, it's really important that adoptive and birth families have access to that post-adoption support and raising awareness on this because so many adoptees and adoptive parents end up feeling isolated. The community, you know, that showed up to celebrate the adoption maybe doesn't understand the ongoing behind-the-scenes work and trauma, which is really unfortunate because that community of support would be so beneficial. So, I think especially in the church, our dialogue on adoption can be a little lopsided. I've heard this from adoptive parents themselves, like they need the support and understanding of their community. And it's not something to be, I wish I could remember what you just said, but I think sometimes there's maybe shame, like you think that your family is is supposed to look a certain way and that there shouldn't be lasting effects. But I think maybe that's another missing piece in adoption. What is adoption? Uh, We've got to reimagine and expand our vision of adoption to be able to include the bittersweet and the complexity, and it's not going to look like a family of origin. So, um, okay, okay, I'm going to try to get to what is missing in the Christian view of adoption. Let's see. That's a big question. These are such big questions. They they really are, and I think it's because, you know, you have such a unique perspective And I'm coming to you as well, wanting to learn. So, you know, these are the questions that I know I've been asking myself. Mm -hmm. And, and so that's why I'm thinking there's, there's two views here about adoption and, and one is worldview and the other is the Christian view, which is where I came from into this picture. And when you spoke about all the hurrah at the beginning of adoption, that's what we had. We had the hurrah and it was very nice, but the hurrah tends to be very temporary. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I think you may have spoken to this one time when I heard you on another podcast about how the family who has adopted needs the village of people yeah. in, who is around us to be our tribe. Yeah. And in that Christian view of adoption, that tribe seems to be missing something. There's pieces that are out of the puzzle. They've been pushed into the puzzle where they really don't belong. And so, you know, I had something I had written and that I just thought of. I think some of the discomfort in the community is not even just discomfort with adoption, but 
Yeah, here it is. With our complicated relationship with pain and grief in general. Okay, so what is missing in the Christian view of adoption? That's such a, a big question. I think one issue before we even start with that is that sometimes we sort of conflate the caring for vulnerable families mm-hmm. with adoption as a practice today. And so when those two issues are married, it seems like we can't critique it or we can't take in the good and the bad because it's seen as just an all good thing. And as scary as it is to begin to question you know, that total goodness, the truth is that there are so many communities and just droves of people out there that are are speaking to these issues and trying to work through their experiences and envisioning potential for what adoption could look like in the future. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why it's, again, important to listen to adoptee voices, because what is missing in also the Christian community is a space for adoptees to be honest about their experiences. And that's not even to speak of the birth parents as well. Like I've talked to so many birth parents. I, I guess I haven't mentioned this podcast, but my husband is a preacher. Mm-hmm. And I came to the church a few years after after the adoption. And I think it's very well-intentioned, but because of the very strong, positive, unquestioning narrative of adoption, it's really excluding to anyone who may be going through grief of adoption, disenfranchised grief. I think it harms a lot of people, honestly. It harms the birth parents because I know lots of birth parents that won't come to a church because because of that pain. It harms adoptees because they feel that they can only present one side of their story, which is honestly, again, they're not able to have these greater connections that could be there if they could be their full self. It also harms adoptive parents because we sell this image of what adoption is apparently supposed to be. And then we don't show up with the awareness and the understanding of the the difficulty, the ongoing difficulty. I, I, know, I remember hearing a story a long time ago of an adoptive parent who had the support in the church of adopting and they adopted maybe a child with, I don't know if it was just complex medical needs and their church community didn't show up for them in support when they needed real hands-on help because it was sort of like, well, you, you know, you knew what you were getting into. Oh, yeah. And, I've heard that one before. Oh, it's, it's horrible. So I would say a lot of depth is missing in the Christian narrative of adoption. We are just very satisfied with very surface views and we end up harming the people we say that we're supporting. Oh, absolutely. I think that has been the hardest thing for my husband and myself to learn Mm. and this i'm gonna say seven seven year journey almost eight is the unwillingness to learn yeah about the complexities Mm -hmm. that come with this Mm -hmm. and everybody has a different story but each adoption begins with trauma begins with loss yeah. Now that's a hard pill to swallow because it doesn't sound good. Right. <laughs> but it, you know, it doesn't sound like it, it matches and matches with the peachy. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. the reality is, is we are God wired to the person who is connected to us in utero. That is how God designed it. And when a child is removed from that, yep. then there is a loss. And so that begins their journey. Now, not every adoption 
has this horrible ending and that's not at all what we're saying yes <laughs> what we're saying is that in the journey listen to the people who comprise the story right that would be the adoptee the birth parents the adoptive family mm -hmm. listen to all learn from them be aware that church doesn't necessarily prepare you for that we've done a disservice to many people thinking that all we have to do is just sign up and we're in and that's not the reality right the reality is is that we are dealing with a lot of mental health illnesses we're also dealing with some medical things as you said there and mm -hmm. do we sign on for this and know what we're getting into absolutely not right not well and i go ahead i really i like that you said you know i've run into the same issue i've been speaking on this for a long time and unless i have these in-person conversations over long periods of time it's really easy to misunderstand what's being said and I've got the impression that some people think that I'm trying to say, oh, look, adoption isn't, there are bad experiences and let's talk about the bad experiences as though it's between the, this conflict between, well, are you going to have a good one or a bad one? And really, I'm trying to help people understand that every adoption situation is complex mm -hmm. and there are always good and bad and difficult and positive and negative. And there's this wrestling between divided emotions and feelings and thoughts and so it reminded me i was thinking about this recently i'm reading well i'm going through a book that i've read before but i'm reading it again it's 20 things adopted kids wish their adopted parents knew mm -hmm. and she was talking about the importance of initiating these conversations with your kids because sometimes we can talk about attachment and trauma but then you look at your kid and you're like well but they're fine they don't talk about it at all and then if i try to ask them a question you know they're not interested so this adoptee writes this book and, and explains like all the many reasons why a child might have those defenses and why it's important for the adoptive parent to initiate continuously to convey that this is a safe space to talk about these things. And I thought about my own children who are biologically mine. There are so many times where because of a multitude of emotional sensitivities and defenses that it takes a lot of work just to get them to a space where they feel comfortable telling me the whole truth about something and about how they feel. Why would we think adoption is is not the same? Right. So I'm not saying, oh, adoption is bad. I look at all these bad experiences. It's like, no, I'm saying I promise you it is complicated and complex. And actually, if we bring this to the front and if we get comfortable in that discomfort and if we honor adoptee grief, we actually create an amazing space where we can have closer connections with one another and where healing can actually happen. Absolutely. I love that. It is being willing to step into a world that can be very messy, mm -hmm. but be okay with messy, acknowledge it, mm -hmm. and then prepare for it. Yes. I think we do a lot of, in marriages, we'll, we'll make sure that these two people get premarital counseling. Oh. Yep. We go through all the year of planning, you know, but here we, we step into this world. Oh yeah. Yep. There is no pre-adoptive planning. It yeah. is pretty much a, a checklist and the little bit you get through a home study is hardly anything to, to be able to grab hold on to and, 
and realize, okay, let me go back to this. I didn't have that book. I didn't have it. Right. <laughs> and when we were arriving home, I, I had a therapist friend of mine say, okay, here's your support group now that you are here. And I, I'm like, support group? What are you talking about? Mm-hmm. And he said, you're going to need a support group. Mm-hmm. And he was spot on. And so in all of my journey, I'm looking, looking, looking. Who are they? Where are they? And and so this is another reason I wanted to go into your world because this is another group of people that we do yes. not yes. access. Well, I will say from the birth parent side, it's the same thing. And that's, the, that's another downside of presenting adoption in a very simplistic way is that the birth mothers also believe that too. And so we don't have adequate post-adoption support. Like, for example, we do know right now that with research that, that has been done so far, the openness in adoption is beneficial for all parties involved. And that can be openness, like actual direct contact, but it can also be openness and communication between the adoptive family. But I still think there's a huge general belief that is also internalized by birth parents. It's better for them to not be involved, for birth mm-hmm. parents to step back. And also because there's not adequate preparation, because adoption does seem like a win-win, like when you're making that decision, you assume like, obviously it's going to be great for them. You're not really prepared at all what it's going to look like afterwards. Right. And so you have a lot of, like, I know a lot of adoptive parents who would love to have openness, but unfortunately the birth parents in their lives were not prepared for everything, the grief. And so they may not have the resources to cope with that. They were not expecting what it was going to feel like to to show up afterwards. And so they they disappear. Mm -hmm. And so there is just not adequate support. And partly the reason for that, and again, we have to just keep in mind that the topic of caring for families in need is not equivalent to the topic of adoption as a business. Mm -hmm. Because partly it's the adoption as a business that is to blame for that. I've had conversations recently with people about agencies and and attorneys and people like that who will cut costs by cutting down on post-placement support in favor of advertising costs. Like, we do need to talk about our practices that we are perpetuating today. That's separate from caring for families in need. Right. Absolutely. Oh, boy. This could be. (laughs) I know. So much in the case. Oh, no. I know. No, don't be sorry. It's just like. We may have to have part two. Uh, Okay, so as we're talking this part of adoption, there is a verse in the Bible that is used a lot. James one twenty seven. This is the verse that convicted me of what I was supposed to do because I saw this verse that if I wanted to practice a pure and undefiled religion, I would go adopt. And I saw that as a command. And so I followed through. My husband and I followed through on that. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the things that has been so conflicting for me, Amber, is the anger. And I don't mean rage. I mean, I was just upset because I'm thinking, Mm -hmm. all right, if this is a command, as it seems to be presented, how Mm -hmm. come everybody on my pew and the pew in front of me and the pew behind me how come we're not doing this? Right. And it has just kind of blown my mind because I would see families and I'm thinking, well, you can do it and you can do it. No, you're not too old. We were 59 when we started this, or 58 when we started this journey. So right. you're not too old. So I have 
learned that I need to look again. And I've appreciated what you have learned as well. What's the conclusion about this passage, Amber? So one, I want to say I can, I can relate to you. <laughs> I've been in that very zealous. I said the same thing, honestly, when we first came to the church. I remember saying, we're not going to have any more biological children. We're going to adopt. If everyone adopted, there'd be no more orphans in the world. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a lot, a lot to say about that. But I also viewed James 1, 27 the same way. And I think I'm not alone at all in saying that when I read that verse before, it was widows in which, you know, our church had a really good practice of visiting the shut-ins, tending to widows. So that was the picture I had for widows older people, right? you go care for them. And then orphans were babies and we care for orphans by adoption. And I think that it wasn't until later I was, I was digging into adoption and I always want to reference David Smolin. I really respect his work, but this verse, this phrase, widows and orphans is not unique to just James. You find that that phrase all throughout the Old Testament, the callback to dozens of references in the Hebrew scriptures of what he calls the dyad or my husband calls the vulnerable quartet because it's a phrase that often includes the foreigner and the poor. So yeah. the fatherless, the widow, the foreigner, and the poor. There are verses like he executes justice for the fatherless and the widow. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner. You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. Things like that. There are tons of them. Mm -hmm. Over and over again, God has his eye towards society's most vulnerable. And at the time of these writings, it's really also important to remember that a family without a father in a patriarchal society like that would have met severe poverty and the risk of death. And we even have examples like Elijah and the widow at Zarephath and, and Elisha and, and the widow's oil. They were visiting the widow and the orphan. And so then I think biblically in that sense, based on the references that we have and the examples that we have in the historical context that we have, visiting the widow and the orphan means the single mother and her child mm -hmm. and to care for them is to provide for give to them remember them in their affliction help them to survive together as a unit mm -hmm. yes and that is so clear to me because that is logical mm -hmm. and it makes sense because so many times we take the word fatherless and make it motherless too mm -hmm. yes. and we just yes. say oh well, that means no no parents well, that's right. not what that says. And yeah. it's obviously without a father. And then take care of the widow. Well, what about the widower? And mm -hmm. so we just said, well, that means what? And so we have just taken those two words, fatherless and widow, and yeah. we've made them mean other things. Yeah. When actually it's not what we think it is, because if you look at the context of it, we are talking, as you said, about children who no longer have that father patriarchal heritage. Mm -hmm. And now their mother doesn't have the husband, their their child, her child doesn't have the father. And let's take care of these people because yeah. this is, was a big deal. And so it just like light bulb moment, like, mm. goodness, this, and I have to say, I felt better. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> You know, if you can't do this, throw money at it to make it happen. There's nothing in here that says, and if you can't adopt and if you can't take care of the widow, then just give money and let us do it. And so this has kind of 
taken all of those ideas and thoughts and myths and said, no, 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 no. Let's put that away because this is not what this means. Well, and if you can remove the adoption, because it's not even adoption, the word adoption isn't even in there. Well, if you can just take that out of your mind and you deal with the context and everything you just said, I feel like suddenly that expands your vision. Yes. Like now you can do so much more to provide this community of care. So that for me, I know it's it's kind of complicated. People don't like to critique adoption, but but if you can, there's actually what you do is you open the door to so many more possibilities that maybe we were blind to. Oh, absolutely. And did not want to step into either. And that's yes. family preservation. And so when we talk about trying to keep a family together, well, then the obstacles are, well, this birth mother, she has all these other children and can't do that, or she doesn't have the money, she doesn't have the education, she doesn't want anyone to know. And so you have all of the reasons why you shouldn't try to work with the family. And so the mother, and so you make sure she's taken care of until the birth. And then I really don't know what happens after that. But (laughs) because we never hear about it anymore. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And the birth fathers. I mean, there's a birth mother, but there was a birth father too. And where's the birth father? Well, that is a whole other conversation. (laughs) Yeah, that's such a great question. Honestly, it really is. I think it's not just adoption, but definitely where are the birth fathers and these stories and these narratives, they disappear from the community. Where are the male adoptees? They're less represented. I mean, it's hard to find men in supportive spaces. Like, mm-hmm. it's difficult because I had a statistic I thought somewhere I thought was really interesting. But anyway, men are less likely to seek out support, but they're more likely to have some substance abuse problems and they're at a greater risk for suicide. And so I think that it's, it is an adoption issue that we have, and I want to speak more to that, but also it's a wider issue in our society where we're not helping men feel okay in expressing their emotions and Mm -hmm. to lean on one another. Mm -hmm. Um, However, I do want to read something I had actually written recently on this very topic. Mm -hmm. I was thinking about it. I was listening to a podcast called Twisted Sisterhood. It's two birth mothers. Mm-hmm. And they had an episode on stigma and stereotypes where they talked about like how sometimes in the birth mother community, and of course, definitely outside of it, we'll often refer to like, well, not all birth parents are homeless or not all are addicts or not all are mentally ill. And we have this stigma against moms who have had less resources and who have consequently coped in ways that we just, we frown upon. And it was a really great conversation and criticism of the ways in which we, even as birth mothers, sometimes want to be set apart from the bad ones and show that we're one of the good ones. And it automatically reminded me of the same way we can be prejudiced against others. I've seen this from birth mothers and I've been that birth mother before mm-hmm. where we judge and demonize men or really sometimes boys who were not able to cope emotionally, who were not present or who were self-destructive or externalized their emotion mm-hmm. without acknowledging that there is even less support and structure for men in our society to deal well with their and external struggles. So we just like, we cut them off or feel disgusted by them rather than realize that they are full humans with traumas even before they became fathers. 
as well as humans who have not had or, or have not known how to receive the support and the resources that maybe we have had. So I, I feel like, you know, there's a reason people do things, that, the things that they do, but even the hurtful and the harmful things. And I think very rarely is the reason just that they're evil people. Typically they're, you know, they're wounded people who don't know how to hold that woundedness without giving details. That was very much my case where the father in my situation, I chose adoption because of a very abusive situation. And that, that was why I made the unilateral decision. And now... <laughs> 17 years later, he's an adult and he is married and he's got three kids and I'm friends with his wife and she's amazing and he's never treated her the way that he treated me. And it's just, in hindsight, it just isn't so simple. I don't know. I never thought that there would be a day where I didn't hate him, but learning about trauma really has widened my empathy even yes. to him. And I wonder how many others would benefit from that same compassion, whether it's birth fathers or birth mothers, because I think in the church, we also can just demonize people who did not have the upbringing that we did and went through things that we didn't go through and have dealt with it in ways that we can't imagine dealing with it. Oh my goodness. There's so much richness in what you just said. And I think we have to do a better job within our churches of seeing the trauma of people. And because scripture is full of traumatized people, yeah. and we tend to think that they, that that's not in there, but it mm -hmm. is in there. And we continue to live lives that have trauma. And when children who have been adopted grow up and start being able to put all of this together, mm -hmm. they're looking for mom, bio mom, and bio dad. Mm -hmm. They want to find both of them. And I think we have made a mistake of just believing that a bio father is he's a bad guy, he's all yeah. those things you mentioned. And also at the same time, there are birth mothers who will not tell who it is because yeah. they, they don't want what's gonna happen with that or they will lie about it. And, and so then your child has started out with all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And so as the adoptive parent, let's step into this and be prepared to help this child connect. Yeah. Yeah. Let them connect because this is how we're made. So know in advance, be prepared. And should there be rough and bumpy along the way? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> it's, it's, oh, no, no. Yeah. Like you had said earlier about not getting the book, that goes for us too. Like so many reunions. Unfortunately, I think we should be in a place where we don't need reunions, where hopefully there's openness throughout. But no one is given a manual when we sign up for adoption. And then when reunions happen, so many of them go sideways because yeah. it starts out really positive, but then no one has the skills to navigate that kind of complex like relationship. So yeah, absolutely. Yes. Well, Amber, I have to tell you, this has just been an absolutely positive conversation today and positive and what I mean by that is that this has been so refreshing to mm -hmm. speak openly and candidly about a topic that is usually presented on a silver platter yeah and you know while I like you have nothing against adoption not mm -hmm. at all what I am looking for and encouraging people to learn is that it's okay that there is trauma here 
it's okay to look at your child and say, this behavior is based on X, Y, and Z, mm. and I'm going to find a therapist who can help. In the meantime, that the church village says, hey, how can we help? Teach mm. us. What do we need to know? Yes. That's what we all need, whether it's about birth mom, adoptee, adoptive parents. We can all be taught, and we don't need to be taught trying to catch up on fast track. Mm. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, that, that helps no one. That yeah. helps yeah. no one. So anyway, thank you so much, Amber, for having this conversation today. And to my audience, thank you for listening. And just remember to be kind. This podcast is brought to you by The Still Waters. The Still Waters is a service to provide counseling when you don't know what to do or how to make it through those difficult days. Buried beneath a lifetime of heartache and broken, sometimes help is needed to find the real you, the genuine you, created by God. Through The Still Waters, you can find the life tools that lead to peace and healing and happiness. Go to the website, stillwaterslife.com, and take the first step toward rising above and finding a better life, stillwaterslife.com. Visit the website today, stillwaterslife.com.